Thank you. If you need a Bible, you just kind of raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. A couple of things I want to mention to you before we get in. You can go ahead and turn to 1 John, the epistle, 1 John chapter 5, where we will land today. 1 John chapter 5. A couple of things I want to mention to you before we get started. Number one, today is Arlington in April. It's supposed to be yesterday, but unless you were boating yesterday, you probably were coming or fishing. I had to get that guy out of my front yard, kept wanting to build a boat there. I said, look, Noah, we got other things going on. It is today from noon to five, and we do have a booth there. We'll be doing our spin art thing we do every year for kids, and we need a few more volunteers that can make it from noon to five today right over here in Depot Square, and we're right across from Vinegar Gym. You know, all kinds of go right over there, eat, or if we're there and help, but as soon as I can get home, change clothes, we'll all be there. They've already been setting up. So that's today, noon to five in Depot Square. My wife said, Depot I had to correct and say, for those of us who know English, both are correct. She said, yeah, you know English. But anyway, so today from noon to five, also Thursday night, this Thursday night is National Thursday, it's National Day of Prayer, and we've been doing it in Arlington every year. The Arlington Pastors, yes, you thought we're kind of in charge of it, and we've been doing it at noon, but one of the things we discovered, it took us a few years because it's slow, but we kind of discovered most people work during the day. They're not like us that work one day a week, so, and we decided this year to move it to Thursday night. Again, Depot Square is 6.30, it's Thursday night. And uh, our own Russ Bingham will be participating in that. Uh, my, our son is getting married this weekend, and his rehearsal dinner is Thursday night. And I tried to get the National Day of Prayer people changed, but they didn't. That was nifty enough. So I said, look, Beverly, Beverly LaHaye, and I closed. I said, look, Beverly. He said, forget it, Randy. We're not doing it. So uh, I won't be there. Normally, I'm there, and I'm, I'm one of them. But Russ is my stead in Christ Church. And I would encourage you, all possible, by about 6.30, 7.35, Thursday night in Depot um, Aspects. And Lord knows. So you continue to pray. You can be there Thursday night. Tonight, you would benefit from. It. All right, First John chapter five. As we continue our series on real prayer, real being an acronym, which you've all got, right? Fat for God was easy. Real is a little different, right? What's real stand for? R is y'all weren't too sure. It's not racing to finish line. Who's always wanting to run for God? Who's always racing? R is what? E eager. I like y'all. Y'all not some of y'all aren't eager. Though. Eager. A alert or aware. I never do get it right. Do it. Let's go with. All right, let's say alert. I'll go with it. And L is, all right, God, that's what God wants for us as the church, as believers, to be ready and eager and alert and loving, that we're genuinely compassionate. What we're looking at right now as we do this series on real prayer, as we've been focusing in for the last few weeks, last week we talked about that tragedy in Boston and how we are in this together and we should pray, be praying not just for the victims and not just for the, the horrific thing that went on, but for the believers to be used by God in that moment to be real, to be the church in that horrific circumstance. And here's what I want us to take away from today. If you notice the title of today's message is, We Want God's Will for Each Other. The bottom line in all prayer is, we want God's will, or it should be. So when we pray for them, that we want God to use them to further the kingdom. Have you ever, and don't raise your hand because we're all guilty of this, and I, so I'll raise mine for all of us. Have you ever found yourself praying over and over and over for something, and you don't think you're getting an answer, and you're like, am I wasting my time? Why am I praying with no results? I was reading a story this week about a little kid who was praying for his family. He had a grandmother that was sick and something else in his family. He prayed for like two weeks. Every night he went to bed, he prayed, and, and he was still sick, and nothing getting better. And finally, the last, he went to God and said, look, I'm tired of not getting I think sometimes that's our attitude with God. I read another story about a little boy. It was getting near Christmas, and he had written to Santa Claus, and he knew what he wanted. So he, to cover all his bases, he decided to pray about what he wanted for Christmas. So he starts praying. He said, now, look, God, I've been good. 
For the last six months, I've been pretty good. And it paused. He thought for a few moments. He says, okay. For the last three months, I've been pretty good. Now, here's, where, here's my list. He thought a few more moments. Said, okay. For the last six weeks, I've been really good. Thought for a few more moments. He got up from prayer and went over to the coffee table. They had and the virgin. Went back. Go down and said, God, if you ever want your mother again. <laughs> I do think sometimes we don't realize the significance of who our God is. I was reading an article this week, very sad, about different cultures and how they approach their gods. And I was reading about this missionary who was in China, and he went to this uh, temple to see how these people worship. And literally, this is how they prayed. They had their idol over against the wall. And for whatever reason, they made paper balls, would soak them in mud, pray over them, and then they would throw them at the idol. If they stuck, you got what you wanted. If they fell off, you did not. And they believed that. I remember vividly, and it's been a long time, I have trouble with what I had for breakfast, but I vividly remember standing in Jerusalem, it was 1990, January 1990, I was in Jerusalem, we went to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, the Herod's standing, Christ was there, we go to the Wailing Wall, and the Orthodox Jews are there, you may have seen this, if you've ever been to it's a very movie thing, a lot to do, see, but you've seen the V, but they go to the wall, a stone is there, and there's crevices, and they write their prayers down, and wad them up a little piece of paper, stuff the crevices of the wall, and they're genuflecting, and they believe that that's how you can answer your prayer. It's very significant for us to understand and to realize. I want to read you some quotes from some famous theologians down through years and things they've written on prayer. And one of the reasons God prompted me to do this series again it weeks ago was that, as I've told you on a number of occasions in my own life as a believer, that the weakest area of my life is my prayer life. And I think for all of us, the tendency is just to pray when we really need something, want something, or when tragedy occurs. And I think we need to be reminded of what a powerful tool it is. God says he works through our prayers, the prayers, the effective, fervent man of a prayer of a righteous man avails much. God has chosen, as we communicate with him, to work in our lives and through our lives as we pray. S.D. Gordon said, prayer strikes the winning blow. Service is simply picking up the pieces. Someone has said, prayer is the real work. Evangelism is just the mopping up. E.M. Bounds, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. Andrew Murray, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangel evangelization in history. Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And finally, Ian e. Bounds also said, four things let us ever keep in mind. God hears prayer, God heeds prayer, God answers prayer, and God delivers by prayer. So what I want to encourage you today as we look at this and we think about praying for each other in the context of 1 John chapter 5 is that when you pray for me, when I pray for you, we pray for other believers in Boston, for example, and in other places around the globe. The bottom line is I want God's will for you. I want you to pray God's will for me. We should always be praying as specifically we think we're talking about here, praying for believers, the body of Christ. As we pray for each other, intercessory prayer for our brothers in Christ is that I want want God's will for you. The context of 1 John chapter 5, he's wrapping up his epistle, and he closes this letter, powerful epistle on the love of God, closes it with an emphasis on the confidence we have in prayer as God's children. John's phrase to address the believers, he writes throughout this epistle over and over, he calls the believers little children. 
little children, little children. As the apostle of God writing the church said, little children, let me say to you, we have confidence in who our God is. The key words in this little epistle are know, believe, love, and fellowship. Really what I'm going to hone in on today is this idea of knowing in fellowship. Fellowship means what we share in common. And my focus here today in this series is the prayer life that we share in common as Christians. And the word know is used 39 times in this short little epistle. Obviously extremely important to John, extremely important to the Holy Spirit as he inspired John to write this to us that we know, that we can have confidence, that we understand. Quick example, look at chapter 2 in the book. We're going to come right back to chapter 5. Look at chapter 2, verse 28, 228. And now, little children, 2.28, now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, abide in Christ, that when he comes back, we may have confidence and not be ashamed for him at his coming. We know he's coming back, and as his church, he says, live in him, be confident in him. When he comes back, you will be rewarded who your Savior is. Look at chapter 4, verse 17, 4.17, love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, the future to come, because as he is, so are we in this world. Here's my encouragement to you as we talk, begin to talk about prayer, and as he's talking about our confidence. This is our future. We're born again. If you're born again, you're part of the body of Christ. One day he's going to come back and he's going to take those of us that are left. We're going to be with him forever. If I pass away in that, in that time, into in the interim before he comes back, I go to be with him. I'm going to be with him forever, as will you, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you're born again. That's our confidence in the future. That's what the Bible calls our hope, our confident expectation. And he's saying, now I want you to know, in an absolute sense, as much as you know that, that presently, in this world, he has left us, his body, that the Great Commission was all about. As you go into the world, make disciples, learner, followers of me, your Savior, and I will be with you always. We are Christ's body. We are his family. We are his bride. We are his church. And he says, that's your future. Your present is go for the kingdom. Occupy. This is your time. You hear me say it all the time. This is your moment. You are my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So currently, number one on your outline, he wants us to have confidence in prayer based on God's nature. Who is our God? Talked earlier about the, the temple that that guy went to, the missionary went to, and they were throwing the mud balls up against the idol, hoping they would stick. This week, Mary was sharing with me, I think it was yesterday, she read in the paper someone sacrificed, was it, I can't hear you, three-month-old. And you read about in the Old Testament, Jews had gotten involved with pagans. They were sacrificing newborns to the god Molech, hoping that that god would be pleased. You read it throughout history. Here it is, 2013. There are people on our globe that are sacrificing three-month-olds, hoping that some god will bless them. Our god is real, as Francis wrote. The god is there. Proving himself to be there, proving himself to be God. We went over all that last fall. The God of the Bible is God. That's who we pray to. Our, our prayers are not wishes. Our prayers are talking to the omnipotent, omnipresent God of the universe who is our. So we can have confidence in who he is. Look at verse 14, chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The little word in, the little word in, in Greek means in his presence in this context, before or face to face. 
If I look you in the eye and we're having a conversation, that's face to face. That's what this is talking about. When we talk to our God in prayer, it's not a religious exercise. It's not going through a ritual. It's not doing our God thing so he will get on our side. He's already on our side. He's our dad. And it's a face to face, intimate, relational conversation with the God who is real, who is your dad. And notice how he puts it. We can have confidence. That means boldness. Some of your translations may even say that, that we have boldness. The literal is you have freedom of speech in him. Look at verse 13 in the context. Verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that you may know, there's that word again, that you have eternal life. That's our future. And that you may continue currently, presently, to believe in the name of the Son of God. Name means his character, person, who he is. My name is Randy Lockley. But that's not who I am. Who I am is who you know me to be. My integrity, hopefully. My character, how I live, what I stand for, who I am. And what he's saying is, you know in Christ you have eternal life. Currently, you believe in his character, his person, who he is to do what he said he could do. If he's God, you pray to him. If not, we're wasting our time. That's why the Bible says he didn't rise from the dead. We're still in our sin and our faith. worth. He is God. We have confidence in him. We have access to him. On your handout, there you see Ephesians 2.18. For through him, Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. You'll never find the word Trinity written in your Bible anywhere. You see it right there? There it is. It's one example. Through him, Jesus Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody on the planet, have access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father. That's who our God is. One God, three persons. We have access to the one God who is real. Confidently go talk to him. In the culture of that day when this was written, it was a death sentence for you if you entered the king's presence without permission, uninvited. What's John saying to us? Little children, you go talk to your dad. Anytime your dad is and Lord of Lords, you talk to him. You, you, you have access to him 24-7. By the way, he's not ever asleep. He's not ever gone. He's not ever unavailable. He is your God. He is dad. You have access to the one who can do something about it. That's why I said last week, and as we continue this series on prayer, when you pray, it's important, vital. I've read those theologians. You may not be able to do anything but pray. You know what? That's the most important thing you can do. It is the most important thing any believer can do is pray. Get in the Word of God. Apply the Word of God. Pray the God. Pray to your Father. We have access to Him. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The holiest was also, he's talking about the tabernacle, the temple, the holy of holies, and nobody can go in there but the high priest one day a year, the day of atonement. Saying, as Christians now, that Jesus has come and died and rose again, you go into the very presence of God anytime you want to. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Without going into great detail, and if you want to know all the great detail, we just started studying this in my 930 class. A little advertisement come. We're going to go into all the details starting next week. The veil was the curtain that kept you out of the Holy of Holies. Nobody was allowed beyond the curtain, and if you went back there, you were a dead man or woman. If the high priest went in there and he didn't do it exactly the way God told him to on the Day of Atonement, he was struck dead. It was the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the, illuminated by the Shekinah glory of God. Nobody was allowed in there. You understand the significance of what he's saying here? That's the way it has been. But Jesus has come, and now you, if you're a believer, 
If you're seven years old and you're born again, you have access to the very presence of God anytime you want it. This was radical stuff written to Jews to become Christian. <clears throat> they were struggling with this. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you don't know who Jesus is. He's your high priest. You don't need another man. You don't need a building. You are in his presence. Paul puts, you are the temple which God reside. You are tabernacle with you now, in you. We have a legal right as children. We have a family right. That's my dad. We have a fellowship right. Jared and Con, that's what Christians are. We are his bride. <laughs> you tell your wife she you can't come in your presence. If you'd like to survive, you're not. We are his bride. We are his children. We have boldness. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us, believers, let us, therefore, in light of who Jesus is, come boldly, there's that word again, confidently, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I thought about this verse last week, because last couple of all this message in Boston, when I do funerals, I do one sweet, people are hurting, the comforter, the one who comes alongside to help in time of need, paraclete. We boldly go to the throne of grace. That's our dad sitting on this. This is our advocate, our interest. We have access. Secondly, we're asking of him. We have the right to ask. Who are his children? Your children ever ask you for anything? Sure they do. It's nonstop. As a grandparent, my constantly being asked me, and I'm constantly giving what I want. Because I'm a grandfather. You do it by definition. You have to give them things your parents won't let them have. For example, we're at a basketball game yesterday, and Ella's playing basketball, and her sister Emerson's there. And Ella's out on, so Emerson says, Grandy, can I have a dollar to candy? And I looked at her mother, and I said, sure. The mistake was, you don't give Emerson a Hershey candy bar and let her eat the whole thing in the middle of a basketball game. He was like hanging raft. I said, I don't know where she got it from. I really don't. Let's pray. So in a few minutes, she gets in trouble, and they take the candy bar away from her. It comes to me, stand there, like, and I'm looking at her mother, and I'm like, Emerson, I'm in trouble already. So after the game, Ella comes up to me and says, uh, where's my dollar? And what do I say? Right here, baby. You played a great game. She did. She points out, she's got my DNA. We have access to God. We can ask him. He's dad. So you go to him. You ask him. Hang with me as we walk through this. You ask of him. Look at James 4 on your outline. You ask and you do not receive. We understand that part, right? You ask and you do not receive. Now notice, because you ask amiss. If your kids ever ask you for something and you said no, they like that? Of course not. Have, you, have your kids ever asked you for something and you said, I'll get back to you on that? Hoping they'll forget? Well, sure. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. Please pay close attention to the next phrase. That you may spend it on your pleasures. The literal Greek there is, because you look at that and you think material, money, and, and, and unfortunately a lot of preachers have false this. You ask God something material, a self-request. The reason you don't get it, we'll talk more about that in a moment. One of the reasons you don't get it, according to the verse of James, is that you may spend it on your pleasures. The literal Greek is, is that you may commit in your lust. Now it could be financial lust. It could be some other lust. It covers the gamut of sin, that I want it for my flesh, what I want. I heard a girl this week who was getting married, it's a true story. And she knew she was a Christian, and she, her uh, fiancé was not. She knew God did not want her to marry him, and here was her prayer. God, change him. I really love him. I marry him. Change him. Knowing God had already said, I, what was he trying to do? Get God to do what? Change the standards he wanted. Ever do that with God? You see it in the Bible all the time. God, I'm going to do this. Please bless it. God, I'd really, I'd really think this would be cool to do. Why don't you bless it? God says, don't come to me with selfish. Come to me with your hands out and say, Dad, what I need best for me. See that as we go through. George Mueller, tremendous man of God, said this. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. It's not getting God to do what you want him to do. So many theologians, that's what they preach. It's not getting God to do what you want him to do. It's you saying, God, what would be best for me? I want to that. I want to do what you think I need to do. And logically, why would that be my prayer? Because he's perfect. I'm not. I am selfish by nature. I am evil by nature. I want what I want. 
Well, God says, I want you to align nature with my nature, and then I'm going to give you what you ask for. If you're just coming to me asking things, you're not going to get it. You're asking. That's what the Lord wants us. Second, verse 14. Here it is. The condition of prayer. One simple condition. Look at verse 14. If we ask anything, what's the next phrase? Let's all say it together. If we ask anything according to his will. Anything according to his will, he hears us. That's it. Please, I want you to take note of this. It's extremely important. God hears when we are asking what? Think about the Lord's Prayer that we studied, the model prayer. We began this, our Father which are in heaven, hallowed be your name. It all flows from God's going to hallow his name. We want to get in on that. Your what? Earth as it is in heaven. And they're not sitting around in heaven negotiating with God. The ones that did that were cast out. You remember them? Satan. And they were thrown out. Why? Satan said, I will send above, my throne above that of the most high. I'm going to reign. God said, guess what? I'm God. You're not. So our prayer is, part of hallowing your name, God, I want to get in on your will. I want your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you go to God and you're not praying God's will, he's not listening. You hear that? Very important. Because that's why we end up blaming God. We're not seeking his will. What are we seeking? What we want. His will is perfect. Mine is law, unless aligned with his. Talk more about that in a moment. So the first thing, this is extremely important. It helped me so much on a personal level, and I pray it will help you that, that I can get it, that I can share with you what God shared with Randy. Number one, do you desire God's will? Do you desire God's will? That seems really simple. I'm telling you it's not. I'm telling you as a sinner, it's not. Give an example. What, what, it, what this means is, is that in my heart, when I go to God in prayer, Lord, I want your will even if I don't like it. Are we, do we honestly pray that? Do we honestly feel that way? God, I want your will even though I may not like it. I want your will even though it may not be what I'd like to do right now. It has to begin with that. What's your heart attitude? What's your mindset? How are you approaching God? If you're approaching him that I'm claiming, Lord, you're going to do this, who's God in that situation? You've become God. But if you're approaching him, Father, I don't know what to do. Please enlighten me. I want to be obedient. I want to do what you want. Do you humbly and honestly desire to know God's will, even if it contradicts your will? Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I'm approaching it, Lord, I want what I want request. I'm going to listen to you. Won't you come to him confessing sin, honest saying, God, I want will. That's the first thing. Do I desire God's will? The second is, on a practical, you have to discern God's will. You have to discern God's will. Now, it's not always easy. The number one way you discern God's will, you're holding in your hand. Would you hold your Bibles up? You don't have one, see one for the person next to you. Whether it's the Bible you're holding in your hand or on your handheld device or wherever it might be, it is God's word. That's the number one way you discern God's will. If you're going to God and you're praying, God, I'd really like to do this, and he's already said in his word that is wrong, guess what? There's no reason for you to ask for that. If he's already, for example, thou shalt not murder. Is that straightforward? So if I murder somebody, is that ever God's will? Of course not. Yet those two clowns last week in Boston at the marathon, when they were murdering innocent people, they believed their God would bless that. Your God won't. You know why? Your God is real. Your God is love. Their God does not exist. It's like throwing mud balls at an idol. That idol is not God. So when I go to God's word and he says, i give you another example, and I won't get into great detail. Cause take, I've had a number of people over the years I've been doing it. started when I was... I've had a number of people sit in my office and say, God wants me happy. I'm leaving my wife or I'm leaving my husband. God wants me happy, not happy. Hey, I don't have, I got a bachelor degree from university, but even I, I could look at him and, no, God's in on that one. How do I know that? Because you're married, it's wrong for you to divorce that person to marry another one. How do I know? The Bible says, pretty simple. 
So I pray God's will. Somebody tells me that here, and I've literally done this, and I've lost friends in the eye and said, pray your misery, because it's not God's will for you to come back to your, because they're in sin. Sin is fun, isn't it? So I want your misery rebellion into you, because I love you, because I care about you. Discern God's will. Number one, it's the word of God. He will never contradict it. You understand why I spend so much time, get tired of hearing, and I understand, spend so much time harping on, you need to study the Bible. Why? You don't study the Bible, you can't know what your God wants. If you don't know what your God wants, you're going to sin. If you sin, you're going to be out of God's will. If you want to be what God wants you to be as a Christian, if it's important to you, you should be in Bible study. Does it mean you have to be in Randy's Bible study? Yes. No, of course not. It means you, but you need to be in systematic. I listen to three preachers a week that challenge me, convict me, encourage me. I read a ton of stuff. You need to be in systematic Bible study, whether it's one of our home groups, whether it's online with someone who's good, whether it's uh, the, like Bible study fellowship here in our own town, precept Bible. There are a lot of great Bible studies out there. You need to be in systematic Bible study if you want to discern God's will. Study it, but most important, you apply it. Knowledge for knowledge's sake is just sin. I know a lot about this and I don't obey it. It's just knowledge. I need to apply it. Let it change me. And then I need to live it. That's how you discern God's will. You also need to listen to the Holy Spirit. When you were born again, God entered your life. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, no, you ought not do that. Response ought to be, okay, yes, sir. Listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You need to listen to godly criticism. Those around you that maybe are older. And by the way, just being older chronologically doesn't make you older spiritual. A more mature believer that you could listen to, you, can, you could take your, your, your uh, concerns to, ask questions. How did you deal with this? What do you think? Would you pray for me? And then what's going on around you? But above all, trust God. Sometimes you got to wait. And the third thing is you just want to do God's will. You just obey. You want to do God's will, you obey. D.L. Moody, tremendous man of God, said this. Spread out your petition before God and then say, Thy will, not mine, be done. The greatest lesson I have learned in God's school is to let the Lord choose for me. To let the Lord choose for me. You completely surrender your whole being to God, to God's will, and God's timetable. We don't have time to go over everything else that I want to go over today. I want to do one thing, though. Uh, look at verse 15, number 3. Verse 15, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. Two simple things. God hears us, and he answers us. Now, hang with me for just a moment. The know there is the absolute in Greek. Twice in that verb, and it says have. We currently possess this. Here's something I really want you to, to get before we leave today. God hears us. And he answers us. Well, wait a minute, Randy. This answer, hang on. Sometimes God will answer you right now. Yes, it'll happen. Can people be miraculously healed at the moment? Absolutely. But sometimes God's answer, no. We don't like no's. But remember, I'm seeking our will or God's will. Sometimes it's answer, no. But here's the one that we really struggle with, I think, maybe the most. It's sometimes God said, delayed for a while, a long time. I have two brothers. Brother, I've been saved 43. I've been praying for my brothers for do I stop praying for? Sometimes I, be honest, or thought that's wrong on my part, isn't it? I keep praying. Give a quick example, Bible example. Abraham, God said you're going to have an heir, right? 25 years later, his wife got pregnant. In the interim, what did Abraham do? He said, God, I know it's your will for me to have a son, to have an heir. How about Ishmael? What did God say? No. Abraham was disappointed. God said, you're going to have a son. Trust me. 25 years go by before Isaac was seen. That was a tough time. Abraham had to learn walking by faith, living by faith. 25 years. God said, when I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Keep praying. You keep praying. Give you a quick example and then story, true story, and then we're going to pray. There was a businesswoman in Chicago in her 50s. Name was Ruby Hamilton. She'd been married to her husband for 32 years. She had gotten saved in her 20s and had been praying for her husband all those years, say, 32. He gets killed in an automobile accident. And Ruby was so disappointed in God, she's just stopped living for God. She'd gotten saved back in her 20s. She's blamed God. Five years go by. 
Five years go by, and this young man shows up in Chicago. It's Roger Simmons. And he said, I've got this business card a guy gave me years ago. He said, this was business. I'd like to meet him. It's her husband's business. Five years ago, prior to this, Roger Simmons, the chalking, he was headed, headed home near Chicago, not in, but near. B. Hamill's husband came up, took him to where he needed to get off. As he's getting out of the car, he felt the you know, compunction spirit of the gospel with Ruby Hamilton's husband and got killed on, in an automobile. She never knew that. This young man shows up, had the card, is in Chicago on business himself now, five years later. He said, I'll just drop in and see this. See, Ruby never knew God had done that. You never know, do you? We pray. We pray. We trust our God. Why? It is real. I don't know what he's doing. I ne- only eternity will show me all that God in my life, through my life. Same thing. We can pray. We can trust. We can obey. Would you bow your head? Father, we do thank you that Jesus Christ real, that he is alive, that we don't pray to a God that we made with our hands. We pray to the God who created the universe. You are our Father. You're our dad. You are. So, Father, I pray that you'd use us. We'd be true prayer warriors, praying for each other, be right in the middle of God's will, that our church would be right in the middle of God's will, that the church around the globe would be everything you want it to be for the kingdom. In the difficult times we live in as Christians, use us to share the gospel, to live the gospel, spread the good news. So, Father, as we prepare to leave here today, I pray you would challenge us, convict us as believers, be prayer warriors, each other, for others, be right in the middle of God's will. And, Father, for somebody here who's not a Christian, this would be their moment. Say, yes, thank you for dying in my place, taking my sins, forgive me, save I want to be, I want my prayers. We pray in Jesus.